have a Bible with you, or you have your Bible on your phone, then uh, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. You just have that ready to go. I'll, I'll remind you of a couple other verses that we've been reading. This will be the, the, the final part of a mini-series I've been teaching called The Blessing of the House. If you've been with us already, you know, and you came by faith today knowing that you're just blessed for being here. Amen. Anybody know that to be true? Yeah. yeah. Here's what uh, uh, David wrote, Psalm, uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So, so, so David put such a high esteem, high value on dwelling in the house of the Lord, so much so that he said, if I have to rid myself of every other desire and I get this one, I'm happy camper. I'm satisfied. In, in other words, there must be, for him to make the statement that I just want this one thing and that's what it is, there must be such dramatic impact and tangible results in his life connected to dwelling in the house of the Lord, again, motivating him to make such a, an outrageous statement, an extreme statement. I just want one thing. Now, in the New Testament, now, the New Covenant, our day, we could translate that like this. If I can only have one thing from you, Lord, I want to go to church a lot. Now, that, I, that sounds so bizarre to so many people. Well, no, I want, like, a lot of things ahead of that. It's because we don't get it. We're not doing it like he intended. There, there's some, something where some kind of revelation we're missing because David wouldn't just throw this kind of language out there. It's like recorded. <laughs> and how many know we'll be able to bring it back up to him someday? <laughs> David, seriously. <laughs> One thing. <laughs> but that was his experience, therefore that can and ought to be our experience, that it plays such a dramatic role in our lives that we are uh, looking, you know, despising almost anything else that comes short of it. Uh, Psalm 84 and verse 4 then, 84.4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they will still be praising you. In other words, what happens while in the house causes praise to continue. So God's influence, his, the working of his spirit, the manifestation of his uh, blessings and gifts and so forth are so dramatic that we praise God. It causes us to praise God. If you go to a church, and you're here, so hopefully not, but if you go to a church and all you do is snooze, there's something wrong. If, if you go to church and all you do is dread going and can't wait to leave, something's off. Okay, so that's risky for you to say that. Well, <laughs> I realize I play my role, but... It's entirely possible people are doing it wrong, too. There's, two, there's more than one component there. But that's never been God's idea. He has never desired to be interpreted as boring, uninteresting, or irrelevant to real life. Just the opposite is supposed to take place. Okay? And what happens here is supposed to cause us to praise Him on Monday. 
Not just out of discipline, but out of, thank God, I am blessed. Man, hallelujah. So we've been speaking about the benefits of, of being a part of and involved in the, in the local church. And we've also been talking about how to do it the way that God intended us to do it. And it really is an honor to serve God through the local church. What a privilege. What an honor. What a blessing it is that we can do this. Because it is not the only way, but a, a primary way that God blesses people. It is in a manifestation, His hand extended, and what we're doing here today is God's hand extended to bless people. Okay? And I don't mean bless people just in a, oh, I feel, I feel good. Bless pe- blessings are real and very tangible. Blessings are healings. Blessings are emotional strength and health. Blessings are relationships. Blessings are finan- financial. Blessings are, are very real to life. Amen. I don't want to spiritualize or, no, not spiritualize, religiousize. The terminology in God where we say, oh, isn't it wonderful? And it's just totally disconnected from reality. I'm not interested in that. Okay? So if you're like me, then we'll we'll get this together. Uh, uh, But knowing this, knowing this extreme blessing that God intends to impact people's lives connected to the house, um, it would be, I think, somewhat selfish of us to keep it all to ourselves. It would be selfish if we... Uh, don't share what we know and what we experience with other people. In other words, someone who has truly been touched by God, they want someone else to get it too. They want to share it. It's not, we can't have this idea that, that there's limited supply of God's blessings. I've got to get it and keep it to myself and I don't want you to know about it lest you get some of mine. Right? It's an unending flow. There's more than enough for you. In fact, it'll, it'll be multiplied and magnified in your life when you share it with someone else. That's right. Come on. That's good. Hallelujah, hallelujah. On. It's kind of like the idea that some have about, you know, financial things in the earth and resources and abundance and prosperity. There's this idea that if some people have too much, then other people are going to have too little. Actually, the way God created the earth and there are people have really studied this out to study the resources of the earth. And there's more than enough for everybody on the planet to have, a, to have abundance. Yes. If you have a lot, that doesn't mean someone else has to be poor. Right. Right. <laughs> That's true. And there's an unlimited supply of what we need in God. And uh, praise God. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to milk the planet dry and there's not going to be enough resources. And we're going to have to move off planet. That's in a movie. That will not happen. There is more than enough of every natural resource and things we need to live and survive until this, this thing is all wrapped up, the elements melt with fervent heat, and the Lord makes a new heaven and a new earth. There's never gonna, we're never going to run out of air, of water, right? Of all the other things we need. Praise God. Well, don't keep doing that to me or I'll go, I'll do, I'll go off on all these side tangents. <laughs> Second uh, Kings, did you find that? Second Kings, uh, chapter seven. I, I want to help today. We're so blessed, man! What a blessing this is. We don't want to be selfish with it. Okay, uh, we got to keep that out of our existence, lest we undermine what God wants to do. Okay, Second Kings, chapter seven. Samaria was being besieged. 
Okay, their city was, you know how they do that? They besiege a city and then the armies are on the outside. They keep all supply chains. Remember, we know about supply chains. Uh, uh, we, they stop all of it. And so eventually, every, they run out of food. They run out of resources. And this is what was happening here. Everyone was uh, hungry. People were literally starving. There was no resources because an army is sitting outside. You can't go or they can't, they can't leave. No one can come. And they're in a rough situation. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. Now how many know, talk about piling on. <laughs> we're starving and we have leprosy. All right. <laughs> and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. <laughs> Verse 5, and they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come uh, to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. So this army that's keeping the supply chains cut off, they're gone. Verse 6, for the Lord had caused the army of the of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the horses, uh, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. <laughs> I mean, you know, some people act and there's no real reason to act that way. Sometimes fear is based on Something that's not real. Can anyone relate to that? <laughs> their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent. And carried some from there also and went and hid it. Now, these guys are having a good time, aren't they? I mean, they've been hungry for a while. And they've been, been outcast because of their leprosy. And then they're, they're hungry and there's a famine. And all of a sudden, they're at a buffet. And they go to one tent and someone else says, hey, come over here, look at this tent. And they go over there and they get some more food and they're drinking and eating and wearing new clothes. I got some good clothes. They're getting some jewelry and, and they're just living it up. Anything wrong with what they're doing so far? No. Some of you are hesitant about that. <laughs> so far, no. What they're doing is totally fine. They are blessed beyond measure. Yeah, this is the Lord who did this. It is the Lord who made the noise. That drove the Syrian army away. The Lord made this possible. Yeah? And so the fact that they were eating and drinking and getting some new stuff and just laughing it up and going back and forth, they're doing fine for a minute. He goes on to say, uh, verse 9, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come on us. Maybe, that's what they thought. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. They were enjoying abundant 
blessings. There's nothing wrong with them enjoying the, the abundant blessings. What was wrong and what they weren't doing right was keeping silence about it. When someone is blessed of God, they should enjoy that blessing. Smile, laugh, thank God, give him praise. However, if that's the end of the story, I'm blessed, I'm full, I have great opportunity, and we leave it there, it doesn't remain a good thing. It must move to sharing, to speaking. The problem that they had is that they were silent about what they knew. Receiving for yourself is great. Keeping it all for yourself is not. Everybody with me? Remember Jesus, when he was sending his disciples out to minister, one of the things he said to them in Matthew 10, he said, freely you have received, freely, what? Not freely you have received, period. Enjoy it forever, end of discussion, end of the story. There's always got to be an inflow, and then there must be an outflow, or that inflow eventually becomes a problem. The inflow eventually becomes no longer a blessing, but something will rot from within until you start having an outflow. You get it, and you give it. Praise God. Now we live, this was, a, this was a good day for them. This was the Lord's deliverance. This was the Lord solving their problem. It was a great day of celebration. And it wasn't just for one, it was to be spread around for all. We can say about our day, and our day is not uh, this 24-hour period. Our day began about 2,000 years ago. Okay, it's a long day. <laughs> uh, but it is called the day of salvation. It started at the resurrection of Jesus and it continues to this time, and God's definition, His description of our day is that it is a, a glorious day. It is called the age of grace or the church age. It is called, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, it reads, For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now, everybody say now. now. Everybody else say now is an accepted time, the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If, we, if someone asks you, what day is it? Salvation day. That's what day we live in. It is salvation day. Why, why is it salvation day? Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, anybody can come to the Lord and be accepted. Anybody can come to him. His arms are wide open to receive them. You may have been the biggest rascal in town. You may have been the worst of the worst. Or you may have been like really good and totally self-righteous. Either way. <laughs> either way. All of your sinfulness, you can walk straight up to the throne of God by the blood of Jesus. And he will embrace you as if you'd never done anything wrong. It's a salvation day. It's why our message at church is not constantly beating the drum of how everything we're doing wrong. It's not 90% negative and then, oh, by the way, good news, Jesus loves you. It's the other way. Sometimes you have to deal with, with some negative things that happen in life, but the majority of our message is happy. 
it's celebration, it's good news. It's the day of acceptance, the day of salvation. If you came here today and you think my life is a wreck or my, I'm, I'm just a total failure, I, I'm so thankful that you're here because I'm not here to beat you up and say, yep, you're a rascal. I'm here to say, you know, I've done it wrong too. But the Lord has washed us clean. He has accepted us. His precious blood was sufficient to wash all of our sins away. Amen. That's why our day is a day of gladness. It's a day of celebration. It is a day of good news. So here's what we have to fight against. It's this mentality and sometimes pressure from the outside that says that you should keep this quiet. You should keep it to yourself. Oh, sure, you got your little religion going on. And you should just keep that in that building over there. Keep it out of your public discussion. Right? Heard that kind of thought? That type of, it tries to intimidate, tries to uh, keep people silent. But we are blessed. I am so tremendously blessed. And for eternity. Okay? But it's not good if I keep it to myself. It become, my blessing becomes a problem if it stays inside of me. We are compelled by the love of Christ to tell other people about what we have. Well, one of the dangers is, is that people become content. I'm talking to believers, those who've already received the Lord. They become content with not doing wrong. They look at their own experience. I used to act a certain way. I used to be more rough. I used to be involved in different wrong behaviors. I used to be addicted to this and involved in these horrible things. And now I no longer do that. I'm satisfied that I'm better than I used to be. Or I'm satisfied that I have confidence in my eternity. But that satisfaction of just not doing wrong, uh, that's not enough. Okay? Uh, many people do have a good life. They have a genuine relationship with the Lord. This is not to throw in question or in doubt their eternity or salvation. Nevertheless, we must view this great blessing in our lives as being something that must be shared. It must have an outflow from us or we're not doing good. If we as a church come together and we say, oh, aren't we blessed? Woo! We see God moving and answering prayers and healing bodies and it's just wonderful. We are not doing well if we keep that to ourselves. Hallelujah, hallelujah. See, the devil desires that you just be quiet. Uh, his first desire, his highest desire would be that you never come to know Jesus you never personally experience salvation. That would be his perfect will for your life. And then you die and go to hell. Well, for, for most of us probably here, we've already missed that. We've already, thank God, missed that plan. And by, by getting saved, we've missed the worst of the worst of the worst. But then he has a second desire, and that is that after you get saved, you keep it to yourself. Just don't tell anyone. Keep it between you. Listen, I know so, uh, there, are, uh, there are folks in our church that have told me, and, I, and this, this is not condemnation towards you because I understand, but I know this is very real. Sometimes people receive the Lord, and, 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 and they don't tell anyone else because of the pressure that that puts on, on others. Maybe that's not the best way to say it. Certain religious groups might 
bar you from the family once you leave them. Everybody know what I'm talking about now? And so I know that, that pressure is very real. They get saved. They have a genuine relationship with the Lord. They're not hiding it completely, but from, but from certain people in their life, they won't tell them because they could get ostracized. So there's a real pressure there, and it's demonic in, in nature. Uh, but again, this was designed to affect us and then go out from us. That's the flow. That's the blessing of the Lord. Now, would you turn with me to the book of Luke and the eighth chapter? Luke chapter eight. This demon-possessed guy in the in the Gadarenes was set free. Power of God made him whole. And in after that took place, Luke chapter eight, verse thirty-eight. It says, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him, him Jesus, that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. People in his own house already knew him and what a mess his life was. He said, go back and tell them what God did for you. And he went his, his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Do you see what was happening here? This guy got set free. Jesus said, go home and tell everybody. Why did he want him to do that? So that he could go there Shortly, and when he got there, there would be a crowd waiting to hear what he had to say. In other words, what God did for the one, he also used as a setup to minister to many more. Why did God, why did the Lord set this demoniac free? Well, he did it for him. He did it because he loves him. He did it because the devil was wrecking havoc in that guy's life. Why would he answer your prayer? Because he loves you. Why would he heal your body? Because he loves you. Why would he fix your marriage? Because he loves you. Comma. I mean, I want to say period. He'll do it for that purpose and that alone. He loves you because Jesus died for you. However, God sees uh, long-term. He sees the next step. And what he does in the life of one is not only intended to help, to bless, to restore that person. It is also intended to be used as a catalyst for many, many more to come to him as well. And so what happens is the enemy works hard to keep God's blessings out of individual lives. Keep you struggling, keep you just barely holding on, barely making it through. Uh, But if he fails in that, if you rise up and say, I'm going to believe God's word. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord where the blessing abides. I'm going to let his stuff come to me. If you mess up Satan's plan by getting it yourself, he's immediately going to follow that up with, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone because it might not, you might lose it. Don't tell anyone about your healing because that might go away. Don't tell anyone what happened to you or they'll, they'll just think you're some religious fanatic. 
or whatever the lie may be, if it gets to one, he wants to stop it. Because God's plan is that it gets to one and then it jumps on another and it jumps on another and it becomes a snowball effect and that it causes a, just a wildfire of God's blessings. This guy got set free and you know what was the result? Not only his personal freedom, but a multitude of people were looking to Jesus now. That was real. We know that. What can he do in our lives as well? Everybody say it out loud. Say, God works in my life because he loves me. But God also works in my life because he loves someone else. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we use the word witness. Acts 1.8 says, Jesus said, power will come on you. You'll be my witnesses. A witness is someone who has you know, knowledge of an event or some kind of change. They have personal observation or an experience. They were there. They experienced it. They saw it. Um, a witness um, will testify in court of what they saw, what they, what they observed that took place. Um, when, when you have a personal experience with something, it's not really complicated as to what you should share. You just tell what you know. I saw this. This happened. This happened to me. I saw this. This happened to someone else. I was there. I witnessed it. I was there when it happened. You can just tell the story. Sometimes we overly complicate this assignment and we think, oh, no, I can't do this. I can't share. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that outgoing. Well, all we're doing is telling what we saw. You know, even the most introverted person, if you walked out uh, and, and you saw, uh, you know, a car accident somewhere, you would probably tell several people that day. Man, I walked out, I saw this car accident, right? This car just came plowed into this other car and, and you'd tell the whole story. Well, that's what we're doing, except hopefully more positive. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, I, I, I experienced this. This was, this was my experience with God. The question just simply is, what have you seen? I mean, if you could ask yourself, what have I seen? What do I know firsthand? Meaning, it happened to me or it happened near, near me in someone else's life. What do I know that God did for me? Now, uh, for, for anyone who's a believer, at minimum, you have your salvation story. Okay? I know sometimes uh, people want to discount that if to them it's not dramatic and spectacular. You hear of the person who was just the worst person in town. They were the worst rascal, the worst sinner, and God turned their life around and healed them and delivered them from drugs and crime, and, and now they're serving him, and that's a great story, right? We think that's the one that God can use. Well, he certainly can use that. If you have that story, go for it, you know? But a lot of us don't. What I've been shocked surprised to see in my own life is how the Lord has used at times my story. My story's not really that spectacular. That's why I say that. Meaning I was a kid. I was probably eight years old. I had this long life of crime <laughs> and just worldliness and sinful living, stealing cookies and <laughs> I'm not implying kids don't sin. They do. But you know what I'm saying. 
And, uh, and I prayed and received the Lord uh, in my bedroom and got saved. It's glorious. That's it. <laughs> I've been, and there's a little more to it if I were to, but not a lot, not a lot more to it. I've, been, I've used it during salvation calls here. I've used it, I remember one time I was on a mission field preaching outdoors, lots of people looking, hanging off of balconies in the middle of this city. And I started sharing, I was surprised, my own testimony of salvation. And God was all over me. I tell you, as much as I've experienced God in other powerful moments, He was all over me. And people are hanging on every word, through an interpreter, hanging on every word that I say. I'm like, my testimony? I think if God can use something as simple and not you know, dramatic and spectacular as me, he could probably use anyone's testimony. All my job is, is to tell what I did. This is what happened to me. The Holy Spirit picks up there and does a work in someone else's life. I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm saying, I'm saying we all have that. But have you ever been healed? You ever had an answer to prayer? You ever had some kind of victory? You overcame in a certain way? Is there anything in your life that you could say absolutely for sure, 100% this was God? I know this was. Then that's a testimony. That's a testimony for you. What's your job? Well, if you've, if you've been touched, if you've been helped, if you've been blessed in any way, it's good until you, until you stop telling other people about it. That's when we have to say with these four lepers, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not good. I've received this. God did this for me. And people don't even know that. He wants to do it for them too. People are hurting. People are starving. People are without. And the same God who did this for me has plenty and he wants to do it for them. And that realization, I pray it dawns on all of our hearts where we say, you know, I got to tell somebody else about this. Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, he writes, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What did John say that they declared? Uh, just, what we, just what we've seen, just what we've heard. That's what we declare. I don't know enough Bible verses. Well, just say what you, say what you know then. What have you seen? What have you heard? Sometimes one of the most difficult things to argue against is an experience. I was there. I saw it. I had this. God did this for me. Well, what verse? Well, I don't even know what verse, but it sure happened. (laughs) So God will move in your life again, not just for the sake of you, but for the sake of all whom your testimony will impact. And what we want to do is equip. uh, Equip everybody with stories. God wants to give you more of your own stories. But also, you know, one of the reasons we share testimonies up here every week, we're constantly, we're telling you, hey, tell us your story, tell us what happened, and we'll tell everybody else. Why? It gives all of us tools. There are some things I've never experienced. I've experienced God in certain ways, certain blessings, certain healings, certain victories, and, uh, and I'll use those, my own stories. I use them publicly because of my ministry calling. Uh, but I don't have a story for everything. You know, I don't have, uh, I, said, I said in the last service, I said, I've never been healed of cancer. And some people yelled out, I have. (laughs) And I thought, I need to use your story. See, I hear of someone else's story of that, and I don't have that experience, but someone else does, so I'll use your story. 
and you run into people, have conversations, and they have certain difficulties and challenges, and they say, I've got this problem. I, got, I was just diagnosed with this. Well, that's great, because this is a person at church. I know them personally. They had the same thing, and they got healed. What does that mean? It means you can too. And there it goes. The miracle in one person's life gets multiplied, gets snowball effect, and now it's affecting other people's lives. This is not hard. This is not complex. We're just telling stories of the reality of what we've seen and what we've heard in our own lives or in someone else that we know or someone else in our own church. Praise God. Acts 4.20, For we cannot speak, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 22.15, For you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. You say, well, that was talking about people seeing Jesus raised from the dead. It wasn't. That was Paul. He didn't see that. He had his own personal experience after that happened. Sometime later, Paul had his experience more like us. I didn't see Jesus raised from the dead. I didn't see him on the cross. I can't testify that I saw that. I can testify of how he revealed himself to me and how he saved me. Everybody with me today? See, this is a constant theme through Scripture. You might remember when Jesus spoke in John chapter 4 about this woman at the well. And he testified of how he, was, he would give her living water. And some of you know that story. But the result of that was that many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word the woman testified. They believed in Jesus. Why, why did they believe? Because they heard Jesus? No, because they heard her. They heard the woman testify. That's why they believed. And by the way, that woman wasn't exactly upstanding citizen. Wasn't your best example of a Christ-like person. She had already been married five, five marriage failures. And now she was shacked up with someone. You read the story. And Jesus had, had that, that revelation about her. And so she wasn't exactly the model Christian And God can use her because she just does everything. No, no, no. I think I read that story and we all become qualified. And we can say, well, if God can use her to win her city, God can use me with with the areas that I've come up short. Hallelujah. So what do you have in your arsenal today? How, how, How could you... Uh, do, the, do the right thing or do well with the blessing of God that has come in your life, I think you could just uh, talk to people about what you've seen. Talk to people about what you personally know. And talk to people about what you've witnessed in the lives of others. And if you've seen God do anything, let's tell that story. This is so good for us. We can't keep it to ourselves. We need to let as many people in as possible. Praise God. And in the middle of this, I tell you, I believe that God wants to give you and me further experiences as well. It's not just about the salvation. Of course, that's pinnacle in eternity. But God wants to continually speak to you, work in you, answer prayers, heal bodies, restore relationships. He wants to do things that you have no explanation for except God did it. The Lord did this for me. He wants to do that for you. I'm convinced of it. Amen. All we do 
is put ourselves in a position to let that, those blessings flow to us continually. That position is a position of faith. It's a practical activity of doing what we're doing here. It's putting ourselves in position and putting an expectation on God to work in us, to speak to us, to move in us. He sees the benefit not only in your life being improved, but he knows how it will dramatically affect many multitudes when we continue to experience him on a personal level. Everybody with me today? I know how to do this certain ways. Part, part of it, I'm not relying on me. I just believe that what we're doing as a whole, God's blessing is on it in ways that he moves that I'm unaware of. He uses me often in words of knowledge and gifts of healings. Like someone today, uh, their chest, they have a tightness in the chest, and that, that will be healed today. Okay? That'll be one thing that someone can use. And you'll talk to someone else who's got maybe heart problems, and you'll say, hey, I had that too. How'd you get rid of it? Went to church. Really? You're one of those? Oh, yeah. Totally one of those, but it's sure nice to live and not die. But I know that when we get together, it's the reason we have these believers meetings on Wednesday. We want Christians to experience God. Not just hear about Him. The teaching of the Word is good. There's more than that. The teaching is supposed to cause the Spirit of God to manifest. Blessings to abound in people's lives. And so I do my best. I want to create an atmosphere where you can experience Him personally. Where you can say, I saw. I heard. I was there. I experienced this. I want to encourage you again. I've been for four weeks. Keep yourself in that position. Keep yourself in a place where God can move unhindered in your life. You're putting yourself in a place with expectation for God to speak to you and work in your life and and, and fix problems. And he will. He wants to. It's his desire. It's his design. Amen. Amen.